0: Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton This week, a very special week We're back in the courtroom Today is Start Kyle Orton V. Caleb Williams Uh, Usually we wouldn't be doing draft stuff this early, right? But this is the talk of the town, Kyle And you have prepared prepared a dossier
1: Oh, I have so much on each one of these guys Um, Well, and I think, you know It's because last year we did one quarterbacks episode before the draft We just covered them all um and it was fun it was one of my favorite episodes but we really like we both knew the bears weren't going to use that pick i think they'd already traded it by the time we talked about the quarterbacks um so i was looking at these guys with the same level that i look at every draft class you know uh ever since i started the spreadsheet but this year i mean obviously like the bears are making sorry guys if you're still hanging on to justin fields but they are making the decision to take one of these guys And so I think we're going to start early. We're going to do a whole episode on Caleb. We're going to do a whole episode on Drake May. Uh, I've got a whole episode ready for Jaden Daniels. Um, And if you're a Jaden Daniels fan, um, that's going to be a fun time for you, I think. Um, Maybe not. Uh, And then, I don't know, I'm hearing J.J. McCarthy top 10 rumors hot and heavy. So I don't know if, does J.J. get his entire, I was going to lump J.J., Penix, and Knicks all together in what i would consider the also ran episode but i think jj at this point if the hype keeps going he might have to get his own full breakdown just like the first three guys so um but today we're gonna start with caleb i've been hyping it i have made some changes to the spreadsheet this year i make i make changes to the spreadsheet every year i try to go back and look at what i missed what i got right try to figure out new things to look at um and I have done more work than ever on these quarterbacks trying to get this right, because I want to know... I think we all know what decision the Bears are probably making, but I want to feel good or bad. If I was going to... For a little bit there, I was feeling kind of bad about who I think this is going to be. I, I, um, we'll go on into all that later. But the first thing to talk about, I guess, with Caleb Williams, Travis, is, well, he is already a figure of controversy. Mm-hmm. theres There's been some news... Recently, honestly, probably not actually news is the problem. There's been some rumor mongering. We've had some mongering. There was a monger. He mongered. Um,
0: yeah. How do you gonna, feel
1: about that? I'm going to... You tell, tell gonna, the people gonna, what we're talking about here. I'm
0: gonna, I don't think we can talk about Caleb Williams without talking about, like, the last nine days of Caleb Williams news. Where, obviously, the Super Bowl is done. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl as it relates to Caleb Williams a bit. Um... But that means everybody turns their attention to the draft. That's how it works. The Bears, second year in a row, are at the center of draft news. They control the offseason yet again. That's right. That's right. So about nine days ago, Colin Cowherd uh, came out on his his radio show, and he said, in no uncertain terms, Caleb Williams does not want to be a Bear. He would be fine being a Washington, whatever their name is now. Uh, But no way does he want to be a Bear at all he kind of lambasted the organization. It's not like, even as a Bears fan, I could disagree with what he was saying, which is like, quarterbacks go to Chicago to die. That's true. I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, but the next day he had to come out and he was he was a whooped man. Uh, he had to be like, okay, Caleb Williams, people contacted me and they said, Colin, that's not true. Uh, Caleb would love to be a Bear. He likes the city. Uh, he thinks they have a lot of talent there. And then they basically said, he would love to be there, as, as long as the Bears use that ninth pick on one of these wide receivers. <laughs> and, uh, maybe, maybe the funniest uh, instance of a draft pick telling a team what to do with the. Weather yeah, he draft.
1: was. Yeah, he was definitely. It definitely felt like Caleb Williams being like, "Hey." We're gonna use that ninth overall pick to get me some more help though, right? Yeah. It was like Yeah, the Bears uh, will be great, was,
0: especially because we're gonna have a great yeah, they second. They have the ninth overall pick
1: and they can get a guy like yeah, like Roma Dunza and Malik Neighbors and you know, we'll probably go through all these quarterbacks and then we'll probably we'll dive into free agency for a little bit and we'll see how yeah. close we are to the draft after all that before we actually dive into the rest of the draft and and the guys we like, guys we don't. Travis and I have already got it a little heated about wide receivers just yesterday. He said some dumb shit about Keon Coleman and Roma Dunza. <laughs> um,
0: that's right. Now, if you remember, Kyle, last year I said about wide receivers, I was like, the only time I could call a wide receiver is when they're obviously great, and anything past that, I am 50-50, man. We all, the all
1: have our, we all have our, our weaknesses, that's that's for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't... Yeah. I, I what, what I found really interesting about the Cowherd thing was Ian Rappaport... Ian's is, I mean, honestly, I think he has a better track record almost than Shefty. Uh, But he's also not as, because, I mean, the reason for that is he's not, he doesn't run with some of the things Shefty runs with even. He's very, I've I've always felt like Ian Rappaport of the scoop NFL scoop guys is is very careful about what he chooses to say. And I remember when he covered Caleb's draft announcement that, that he was entering the draft, his last line was that he is excited for whomever picks him. Yep. And Ian, who rarely also tweets, like I mean, he'll tweet the news he gets, but he doesn't usually tweet as Ian Rappaport very much. He tweets news. He doesn't tweet his own opinion very often. He was very heated about this cowherd thing. And he was like, why would Caleb Williams not want to go to Chicago? Great city, great yep. opportunity. They won seven games last year. I mean, if Caleb Williams has a brain at all, and I think he does. I think this is all much ado about nothing. Um, Because when we talked about why the Bears should take this opportunity to take a quarterback at number one, um, because when I was arguing with people who didn't want to take a quarterback at one, they were like, well, Matthew Stafford, you cite him as a success, but he never won a Super Bowl in Detroit. So why take him number one overall? And I was like, Matthew Stafford was a great quarterback in Detroit. And the problem is, is that Detroit had to go winless to get him. He was, he was starting literally from the bottom And trying to help carry that team Out of the pit That's hard What you see in history with the number one overall quarterback Is you either get a guy Most of the time you either get a guy who is a literal hall of famer Or a guy who is a Super Bowl champion Or you get A lot of guys who are good quarterbacks That just couldn't win the Super Bowl Mostly because they started with bad teams um, That's the vast majority of quarterbacks taken at number one There are very few truly bad quarterbacks Taken at number one and so the Bears have this fantastic opportunity, though, to take a guy that is a Luck-caliber talent, to take a guy that is a Lawrence-caliber talent. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence had landed on the the 2024 Bears, Trevor Lawrence coming out of Clemson, he's going to have DJ Moore, he's going to have, let's say, Roma Dunze, Roma Dunze or Malik neighbors, he's going to have a, an offensive line that's probably going to be fairly solid, they've got two good tackles. Um, a good guard, a couple, uh, a good guard who doesn't stay very healthy, a kind of bad guard who doesn't stay very healthy, and I think they're going to do something about center finally. Um, but pretty good landing situation if, if Trevor Lawrence a healthy cap room, ha- healthy cap situation. Uh, if Trevor Lawrence lands with Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator, not Urban Meyer and fucking um, uh, nepo- nepotism Schottenheimer uh, as his offensive coordinator rookie year, wouldn't you think Trevor Lawrence would be a little farther along? In his career, if he'd landed into a situation like that. Don't you think Andrew Luck would have done some really cool shit if he'd landed into a situation like that instead of constantly putting a terrible Colts team on his back? Um, So if Caleb Williams has a brain, he's able to look and see not only are the Bears just as a city, because yes, Chicago's amazing. Um, And if you are the quarterback in Chicago, I mean, look at how loyal Bears fans are to Justin Fields right now. I mean, they, they, these people don't want to let him go. He's given them just enough that, like, they're they're so they're ride or die for him. So if you're Caleb Williams and you could come in and you could be better than Justin Fields, this city will do anything for you. So there's that part, yes. But it's also just the team. This is literally a better situation, at least than maybe any first overall pick quarterback has ever walked into as a rookie. But it's almost certainly the best situation one of them has walked into since at least John Elway got traded to the Broncos in 1983. So Caleb Williams has to be smart enough to realize that. I mean, I know he's from, I'm sure the, the, the kernel of truth to that rumor, I'm sure, is that Caleb Williams is from Washington, D.C. Right. I'm sure he's told people, man, I wish the Commanders had the first overall pick. I'd love to be playing at home. And that's fine. That is a perfectly normal thing for a kid who grew to, who grew up in Washington, D.C., to wish had happened. But there is a big difference between wishing that you had been a Washington Commander, your hometown team, and refusing to be a Chicago Bear. Those are two completely separate things. I am sure that if you frickin' put Trevor Lawrence up to a lie detector before the twenty twenty one draft and said, "Hey, has it your bit? Is it your fucking dream to play in Jacksonville? Do you is the team that you really wished had the number one overall pick the Jacksonville Jaguars?" There's no fucking way he could honestly say yes to that. But he didn't refuse to go to Jacksonville, and he's carried the franchise there. So, And that's that's the same thing Caleb Leibniz is going to do, in my opinion. I think this is much ado about nothing. I do agree Caleb's statement was a little poignant. Um, and I'm going to be honest. That's it, very it, funny. Am, am, I, am I a little afraid of making a 22-year-old kid the general manager of the franchise? Yes, but at the same time, if Caleb Williams... Is what it takes to just fucking say to Bears management, like, hey, I have seen the way you guys do dumb shit like draft Jaquan Brisker when your quarterback needs a fucking wide receiver, any wide receiver, and that shit stops now. That this, If if I'm going to be there, I want to know that everything that you do will be about making sure that I am able to succeed there. I, I almost have to applaud that. I do. It, it's a lot of swagger, but I'm okay with that.
0: You, you mentioned Washington, the, the next thing to happen after we got rid of, of that issue. Uh, Shefty, as you mentioned, he came out and said, Washington is preparing a large offer. They're willing to to throw way too much at uh, at the Chicago Bears to just move up one spot from two to one to get Caleb Williams. Um, and then within a couple days, it seemed like all of that had gone away, and suddenly the story was Washington might be interested in Jaden Daniels over Drake May. And, I mean, I think it's it's worth saying because you mentioned that a lot of this is smoke. We talked about it last year.
1: It's lying season. We are in we've lying got, season.
0: We've got a lot of, of new listeners. So the way Adam Schefter does business is he trades reports from teams for scoops on information later. What happens is the Washington GM comes in and he says, Adam, I'd like you to put this out there. And in exchange for that, I will give you, for scoop... On whatever we do in the draft or whatever we do in free agency. That's how it works. So, Washington told me to put that out there. And for all the world, it seems like they came to the Bears and Ryan Poles basically said, Yeah, you want to do the Herschel Walker trade? And they said, Ha, uh, let's look into Jaden Daniels. And that's how that ended. Like, I don't, I think you and I both agree. The Bears are picking Caleb Williams at one. I don't think they're going to move off of that at all. I think everything else is kind of smoke here. I think Washington is taking Drake May at two. Um, and I think this draft really starts with New England at three. But yeah. I just kind of I mean, wanted we're... to be like, Bears fans, you're going to hear a lot of smoke. It is yeah. smoke. All it's of smoke. this.
1: Thing. Well, and I, I – we'll talk about this when we talk about Drake May next week. I I mean, it's possible that NFL evaluators are stupider than I think. They've done it before. Um but this whole Jaden Daniels QB two shit, I think, is a smokescreen. One of the harder it is. It is New England at three, just leaking shit. Like I don't, I don't think Drake May's a nice person. I think if I were him, I wouldn't take him with the second overall pick. Is the
0: Patriots, uh, it's, yeah, if people century. are doing.
1: Yeah, people are doing work. They want Drake May to fall. Um, I don't believe that for a second either. I won't believe that Drake May isn't QB2 in this draft until that name is called and it's not him. Um yeah. everything is lying up until then for me. But anyways, but we're not talking about Drake May yet, we're talking about Caleb Williams.
0: Caleb so, Williams, baby.
1: So let's talk about Caleb Williams as a player, not as a as a phenomenon. Um so when we did our draft episode last year, I introduced everybody to the spreadsheet um, I, I talk about it on Twitter all the time. Basically, since I have we, you and I have been since we were in high school grading quarterbacks every year before the draft. We always say, "Here's my list of guys." Here's your list of guys. We compare. We keep track. I would say since about 2011 is when I started to get a little serious about it. I'd start watching highlights that everything I could find on YouTube on guys, and I'd start trying to look at more statistics. Try to start taking it really seriously. Um, and then starting in 2018 is when I really like started putting all of these guys into the spreadsheet, every data I could find, historical data for every quarterback that I could find. Um, and then the last couple of years I've tweaked it to focus less on publicly available box score stats and more on pro football focus stats that, um, what what I have come to realize is the important thing to do with guys like this is to build... Uh, you're, you're trying to identify whatever it is. What you're actually trying to do is you're trying to identify profiles and archetypes and tendencies. Not so much you're looking at the numbers and the results, because we know that college results can lie. Hell, we know NFL results can lie. But you're trying to identify process. What is a guy's process? How often does he throw the ball into harm's way? How often does he throw the ball deep? How often does he scramble... From a clean pocket. How often does he do all this? You're trying to figure out profiles. And then once you figured out like a guy's profile, you can look back and see, like, okay, who are other guys that played very similarly to this? Because what I've come to realize is most guys don't really change their style of play when they get to the NFL very much. They are the same kind of guy. They can just get better or worse at doing things within that framework. Like Josh Allen, to me, if you watch him at Wyoming and you watch him in Buffalo, and the numbers will back this up in terms of things like pressure to sack rate and things like that, Josh Allen still does the same kind of shit in Buffalo that he did at Wyoming. He has just kind of overhauled his fundamentals. He's fixed some mechanical issues, and so he's a lot more successful at the stuff that he tries to do. But he's still very much the same kind of guy. He's just a much more refined version of the product. And so the reason this year, uh, so last year we talked a lot about, I, I always track big-time throw rate, which is, according to PFF, it is a little subjective, but it's how often does a guy just make, like, a really great throw, like a difficult throw, tight window throw, an NFL-caliber throw. Um, how often does a guy do that? Usually you want to be at about 5 or 6% at least in college to be a first-round prospect. Turnover-worthy play rate, that is how often a guy either fumbles or throws an interceptable pass, even if it wasn't actually intercepted. You definitely want to be below 3% in turnover-worthy play rate. Um, There's adjusted completion percentage, which is completion percentage taking out throwaways, spikes, batted at the line, drop passes. Just how often did the quarterback actually deliver an on-target pass to his guy, whether it actually resulted in a completed pass or not? Um but I also – and so all these things I looked at, one of the – all of these things really freaking loved Justin Fields. They did. They loved him. They said basically this guy was the greatest quarterback prospect since 2015. There's nothing that he does wrong. And now I love Justin Fields as a person. He's had some exciting moments. But I think through three years of Justin Fields, you can say there, there's quite a few things – that Justin Fields does wrong, wouldn't you say, Travis?
0: Yes, I would say. I would say something was missed, maybe in there.
1: But what it, where, do you? And what I've realized, though, what I, what I would say is the things that Justin Fields does wrong usually aren't the things that happened after he throws the football. The problem is, and the thing that I realized I was way underestimating, and we started to really look into this last year with Anthony Richardson, because he really yes. stood out as being kind of interesting in this way. Um, uh, what matters and what actually tends to be the most translatable, as I'm realizing, and I go back and put these in for everybody, is what happens before a guy throws the ball in college. Right. What happens when he doesn't throw it at all. And so what I'm finding is, that, so I, what I've really started to add this year to the spreadsheet is a lot of what I'm calling pocket statistics, uh, which is time to throw, how how long it takes a guy on average to, to attempt a pass from the snap. Um, and generally, you want to be under three seconds in this. Uh, but you also, you don't want to be too low either, because generally speaking, guys in the 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 second range, unless you're Tom Brady with his supercomputer brain at 45, if you're getting rid of the ball that quickly, you're probably not actually you're probably not actually pushing the ball downfield. You're probably not. You're probably leaving yardage on the field. You're probably checking down too quick. You're probably a one-read thrower. You're probably not really surveying the whole field for better opportunities. Um, But on the other side of the spectrum, if you're Justin Fields and you're taking 3.45 seconds, uh, which is 3.44 seconds, I think was his time to throw this year in the NFL, that's obviously way too damn high. And if you're doing that, you're taking sacks, you're taking hits, you're, you're probably missing guys when they are open. You're probably not throwing the ball on time. Um, and then I've also looked at, we, we first started looking at this with Anthony Richardson because we were trying to quantify how good that guy seemed to be at a college level at avoiding sacks. Pressure to sack rate is a big one. And that's just how often does a guy get pressured? And when he gets pressured, how often does he turn that into a sack? You really want to be below about 20% in that Justin Fields at, at Ohio State was at 23.6% should have been a red flag red flag that I missed because I wasn't looking at these back then mm-hmm. in the NFL and he's been sacked at about that much or about that rate sometimes a little higher um, in terms of pressure sack rate of the NFL this is one of the most stable things if a guy is really bad at turning pressures into sacks in the in, in college he's almost certainly not going to get better at it in the NFL he's probably going to get worse um, i one that one guy that this metric absolutely nailed was Sam Howell. At, at UNC he was like a 27% pressure to sack rate guy. He had no feel for pressure at all. And in the NFL he just took what 60 65 sacks, 60. A I mean truly one point,
0: incredible. Yeah, at one point he was on sack. pace
1: to set at one point he was on pace to break David Carr's record. I mean it was going to be he was on pace for like an 80 85 sack season. It was wild shit. Yeah,
0: no. Um
1: so pressure to sack rate's very important. Um And then another thing I've started to look into, uh, I haven't done this for everybody in the spreadsheet yet, but I've looked at it for some key guys that I think have been relevant, is how often a guy takes off scrambling, especially from a clean pocket. Because, I mean, scrambles can be effective, and I I like mobile quarterbacks. I think the ability to scramble is very important. But if you have a guy who is consistently fleeing clean pockets, that's bad. And if you have a guy who is consistently fleeing clean pockets in college, he's probably going to do that in the NFL where pockets get messier even faster, where pockets feel smaller and more uncomfortable. Um, And you also don't want to, I mean, you want to scramble. It's good to be able to scramble in response to pressure, but if that is your only response to pressure, if you are a guy who just takes off immediately at the first sign of pressure instead of trying to buy time to make a throw, we know with Justin Fields that also leads to a lot of hits and a lot of injuries. So these things are the the 2024 version of the spreadsheet is the most thorough version of it ever. These are the things I've really started to look at more in terms of pocket presence metrics. Um, And unfortunately, I hate to say it, but like if I had done this before, I would have been a little lower on a guy like Justin Fields. And I would have been a little higher on some guys like Josh Allen and Jordan Love that I didn't think that much of. In college because their accuracy metrics and a lot of the stuff that happened after they threw the ball weren't very clean but the stuff that they did before they threw the ball was actually pretty good so what does this have to do with caleb williams is that what you were about to ask me
0: travis i don't i was uh i was only going to say i had actually i had a similar experience last off we talked about hendon hooker uh, Hendon Hooker. yes i had someone reach out because what i had said is he made a lot of zero read plays uh, is what I had called it. Like, you know, he just, the hey, ball snaps, yeah. he throws it, right? And somebody had reached out and said, I don't know if you want to say zero read. How you want to think of it is probably as a pre-snap read. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't think he's doing much of that. But second of all, you're right. I, because I'm, I'm well, realizing that... what you do before the ball is snapped. Right. And this is something that I think we're going to talk about a lot with Caleb Williams. The differences between him and Justin Fields specifically is Justin Fields does not have much in the way of pre-snap understanding, right, of a defense, of the what his offense is going to do. It seems like he just doesn't have that, and that's something the spreadsheet didn't catch before, and it's something the spreadsheet does catch now.
1: Yeah. Um. So with Caleb Williams, so the reason i bringing all this up is because I've gone on a journey with Caleb Williams as I add all of this stuff to the spreadsheet. Because I, so before this year, I had watched Caleb Williams, but I had not really sat down and watched Caleb Williams I had watched USC games I knew Caleb Williams was a stud I had watched him on in bowl games and in other games I'd watched him from broadcast view and been like yeah this guy looks really fucking good I mean we even said last year that if Caleb Williams was in last year's draft we really would consider trading fields and keeping the pick Caleb Williams was that good we thought at the time he was that much above even CJ Stroud whom we both really liked yep um you know because I've been I'll brag and I'll say I had CJ Stroud QB1 last year but I also didn't think CJ Stroud's upside was as high as it's already proven to be in the end. I thought CJ Stroud would be a consistently like top 12ish starter in the NFL and he's damn near top 5 already. Um and so I thought and I thought Justin Fields ceiling a year ago could still be higher than that. So I wasn't ready to move off of him for CJ Stroud. But I said for Caleb Williams I might be Um, And so I was that high on Caleb Williams. And then I really started to start putting in the data for this year's class into the spreadsheet. And the thing that shocked me the most was that Caleb Williams has the highest career time to throw of any quarterback in the spreadsheet. I got 114 guys in there. He has the highest career time to throw at 3.27 seconds. Justin Fields at Ohio State was 3.16 seconds, I believe. Uh, The second worst was Malik Willis, who's been a disaster anytime he's had to play, um, at 3.2 seconds. So my natural response to that was to poop my pants. um, Because I thought, oh God, are we really going to make this move? Are we going to move on from Justin Fields and take a guy who has the Justin Fields problem? So that really fucking scared me. And I spent a long time... But the thing is, it caused a conflict in my head. Because when I watch Caleb Williams, I don't see that. I don't... I've never once watched Caleb Williams and thought, this guy looks like Justin Fields. I don't see it. I never have, not one time, been like, this guy looks like Justin Fields. He has the same processing errors that Justin Fields has. I don't see it. But the reason I have the spreadsheet, and the reason I check everything against the data, is because I am never comfortable... As arrogant as I am, I am never comfortable just saying, well, I watched this guy and I think he sucks or I think he's great. I don't need the numbers. Fuck you. I like to check everything with the math. And so that was causing a real problem for me with Caleb Williams and that time to throw. And so I started trying to slice it up in different ways and see if there was an explanation. Um, So the first thing that was kind of encouraging is that despite the much longer time to throw, Caleb Williams has an average pressure to sack rate. Um, he basically has the same pressure to sack rate as Drake May, who gets rid of the ball, um, uh, about a full half second faster on average. So that's encouraging. He was much better than Justin Fields at this. Um, he, he does not turn pressures into sacks at the same clip that Justin did in college and has in the NFL. So that was the first encouraging sign. The second thing I did was I tried to, so I talked about the scramble rates a little, a little bit, um, and one nice thing about PFF is they also they break down time to throw into a couple different columns. And the thing that made it all click into place for me is I looked and I found that Caleb Williams averages every single season of his college career. The only guy I could find that hit this thing in college more than once. The only guy I could find at either level who hit this specific mark more than once. Caleb Williams averages over six seconds per scramble pass attempt. So when he scrambles, he scrambles for an astronomically long-ass time. Um, Caleb scrambles for six-plus seconds. Justin Fields, in his college career, only scrambled for about 4.7 seconds on average. Justin Fields in the NFL has only, on average, scrambled about four point five or 4.9 seconds because Justin Fields does not scramble to throw.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's been our, one of our biggest complaints about Justin. One of the things we said is holding him back if he could just figure out You know, because you see a lot of plays where Justin runs and the whole defense breaks down, and you'll see a guy streaking across the field, and Justin just doesn't see him. He's already taken off. He's across the line of scrimmage. He's trying to pick up whatever he can get with his legs. Um, and, And you feel like you're being pedantic because, you know, he'll pick up 9, 10, 11 yards, and you're criticizing him because he missed the guy 30, 40 yards downfield. Caleb Williams, however scrambles to throw and that's why his time to throw on scrambles is so long he is constantly moving and shifting and buying time and drifting parallel to the sidelines or to the to the line of scrimmage trying to find a guy that he can throw the ball to um, and I think this is where a lot of people make the Patrick Mahomes comparison because Mahomes does the same thing um, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is the best case scenario for Aaron Rodgers or for Caleb Williams spoiler alert I think it's Aaron Rodgers, because I went and I tried to find an NFL quarterback who had similar metrics to Caleb, and the guy who comes up in terms of has had several seasons above three seconds time to throw in his career, has a pressure to sack rate that's okay, but not great and not terrible. It's been the 19 to 20% range usually most years, and who has at least once on a couple seasons taken over six seconds per scramble attempt is Aaron Rodgers. And that's who Caleb Williams reminds me of when I watch him. He, he is capable of making plays in structure. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting is that even though he has a higher time to throw overall than Justin Fields, he has a much higher percentage of his total dropbacks that ended in under 2.5 seconds than Justin Fields had at Ohio State. When Justin Fields was at Ohio State, only about 35% of the time did he get the ball out in 2.5 seconds or less. Caleb Williams did that about 41, 42, 43% of the time. It's a significant difference. Um, And also, like, for instance, the majority of Justin Fields' college rushing yardage came on scrambles. Because, like I said, he scrambles to run. He doesn't scramble to throw. Caleb Williams, the majority of his college rushing yardage has come from designed runs. If you want Caleb Williams to pick up yards with his feet, you usually have to literally call the play for him to do that. Because if it's a pass attempt, he will try, and sometimes to his detriment. That's also where the Aaron Rodgers things come up. Because if you remember young Aaron Rodgers, young Aaron Rodgers, his second year as a starter in Green Bay, he took 50 sacks. Um, There's a couple other 50-sack seasons in there. There was a 49-sack season. He has always taken more sacks on average than a lot of the other elite quarterbacks you can think of. He's always been one to take more sacks than Tom Brady, than Peyton Manning, than drew Brees and especially than patrick mahomes um and i think caleb has a little bit of that too with rogers where the sacks come and the time to throw comes not from a justin fields processing issue where he literally can't see what's happening fast enough can't get it out fast enough when he does see it um so much as caleb is absolutely capable of making plays in structure when he likes the play call and he likes what he's seeing he just has that tendency when he doesn't like it to just rip up the play start buying time with his legs and wait for something to break out break down field which is exactly like i say some people like to make the comparison to patrick mahomes i don't see that i see aaron Rodgers as the best case scenario for this guy
0: yeah i mean you mentioned um The thing that Caleb will do, uh, definitely the thing that sticks out the most on his film as a pro for Caleb Williams, and I have watched so much USC over the last couple weeks, I'm so glad to be done with that now, uh, is exactly what you said. It's when he gets rushed out of the pocket, he's not sprinting off like Justin or Jaden Daniels um, or Anthony Richardson did at Florida. Um, He's trying to create. He always has a map in his head of where his receivers are going to be. Where they're going to go. He rolls out of the pocket and he does that annoying thing that Aaron Rodgers always did with the Packers, where he slowly sidesteps towards the sideline, just slowly, slowly, slowly waiting for something to break open downfield. There is nobody better in college football this year, and there may not be a prospect I've seen while they were in college who does a better job of just bleeding every second he can out of being. Uh, behind the line of scrimmage and available to throw, and waiting for a play to break open down the field. Um, and his ability to throw while he is uh, at an awkward body angle and still just whip it right into a guy along the sideline who's gotten open, uh, it's scary. Sometimes Caleb Williams makes a throw, and you, and, you know, the only thing you can think is Pat Mahomes um, just because of the insane arm angle, the insane accuracy. Um, you know, there is a downside to that. He is not perfect at it, in the way that Patrick Mahomes is. He will do that, and then sometimes throw it into triple coverage and get intercepted. Right. All of his interceptions this year have come off of that play, Um, but a lot of his crazy good plays have come off of that. Well, and I think it's also where I
1: think the Notre Dame game has really. Caleb Williams was intercepted on just 1.3 percent of his college passing attempts like uh, almost a third of his career interceptions came in one game.
0: Yes.
1: Um. He had five interceptions total this season. Three of them came against Notre Dame. It's not, he is really, and, and he has a turnover worthy play rate of 2.7% for his career, which is top 25 out of the 114 guys that I have in the spreadsheet. Um, and that is honestly, most of that is, which is my one legitimate, I'm very concerned he can't fix this, flaw that Caleb Williams actually has is the man puts the ball on the ground a whole fucking lot. That is the issue, the biggest issue. I'm not worried about how often he throws in triple coverage. It feels more often than it is. It actually isn't that often. I am worried about how often he puts the ball on the ground. He has the worst fumble per touch rate, basically, of any guy who would be seriously considered as a first-run pick. The next closest guy was Marcus Mariota, and Marcus Mariota fumbled a lot early in his career. Now, Mariota did get a little better at it as he went along, so maybe Caleb can too, Justin Fields fumbled a lot early on, got better at it, so hopefully Caleb will too. But I am expecting, I am expecting sacks and and sack strips as a rookie from Caleb that will make you say, "I thought we got rid of Justin Fields for this." That's that's coming. People will say that,
0: yep. um, and I'm not gonna deny that it's gonna happen.
1: But I think you need to look at all of the plays where he doesn't get sacked, and 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 see the difference there, because when Caleb. When Caleb has an opportunity to get the ball out quickly, cleanly in structure, he will. Um, He can. And especially the release time is... I mean, if you want to just talk about briefly the scouting report on Caleb physically, this is a top five arm talent that I have probably ever seen. I like it is, we
0: take it for granted because we've seen him so much. Over right?
1: Yeah. If you don't, if you ever watch Caleb, he, the things that this man can do with his arm, I—it's not to me. It is not hyperbole to put Caleb Williams' arm—not just arm strength. I mean, specifically arm talent because the ability to throw it. Because arm strength. I mean, I've seen some guys <clears throat> with strong arm. I think Justin Fields has a very strong arm.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think Justin Fields quite has the arm talent. That you think of. Because Justin Fields has a slow release. It really hurts him sometimes. Justin Fields can't really change arm angles very well the way Caleb Williams can. Caleb Williams has the ability to change his arm angle, bend the ball around guys, do a little matrix shit back there, uh, and throw the ball without setting his feet, throw the ball off his back foot, throw the ball off platform, throw the ball while running with velocity and touch, whenever wherever he wants to it's really that part is like that part is where the mahomes comp really comes from because yes i agree when you watch just the arm and the things that it can do it's hard not to think of mahomes allen rogers
0: he's in that class with he's in that class and that's in that that
1: particular trait he's up there no doubt it is it's ridiculous it is it's strong and it's so fluid and and it when he wants to throw it it like the time to throw hides the fact that his release time is very fast. Once he decides he's throwing that thing, it is out like nobody's business.
0: So that part should not be underrated. We we sort of talked about this yesterday, uh, but amongst ourselves. But one one great thing about him coming from a Lincoln Riley system is he has. I, that kind of quick release, that quick process—he understands everything pre-snap, and that is—that's a common trait among all Lincoln Riley quarterbacks. Everybody who has come out of Oklahoma or USC, who uh, or te- uh, has has basically had that baked into them right at the start of their career. They understand uh, what they're going to see pre-snap from defenses, NFL-caliber defenses. They're going to be able to read it, and they're going to know if their first read is open or not. And that's where that quick release from Caleb Williams comes in. Another interesting thing that I have noticed from watching all this goddamn tape uh, is uh, we, we sort of talked about this last year um, when we were talking about the Bad Bears with Jonathan Quinn. Bear with me. Jonathan Quinn would throw a pass, a bad pass, and it would be uninterceptable, right? Because it was so far off the mark. The one good thing about Jonathan Quinn was he was so inaccurate, he couldn't be intercepted. When Caleb Williams throws a bad pass, it's not getting caught. It's not getting caught by his guy, and it's not getting caught by the other team. He doesn't do it often. But when his passes are errant, they're very errant. They're not interceptable. Um, One positive or negative about drake may his primary competition here we kind of have to compare him a little bit drake is a little bit like jay cutler um we used to talk a lot about jay's turnover worthy plays being converted into interceptions and how it was abnormally high like when jay threw an interceptable ball a turnover worthy play it usually got picked off it was insane and we for a while we thought this is just a fluke there's no way this should happen all the time but he always had that throughout his career. The the one downside to Drake May that I have seen, when he is errant with a pass, it is almost always because he has underthrown it by just a bit. And when you do that, what you're actually doing is throwing it at the enemy team's corner. You are throwing it right where they are. You are throwing a very catchable ball directly to the other team's corner. Yeah. and. That is a concern for me. That Drake May's turnover-worthy plays in the NFL are going to see that Jay Cutler bump a lot of them will become interceptions. Caleb Williams, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I think he he's usually whipping it at a dude's toes. Yeah, I mean he. I honestly think
1: some of what looks like Caleb Williams inaccurate passes are actually just very skilled throwaways. Sometimes they really he is. um,
0: It, It seems that way.
1: But yeah, I think a lot of people have let the Notre Dame game warp their perspective of him um, in terms of how often he actually puts the ball at harm's way. Because especially as a thrower, he really... It doesn't happen very often, folks. It's not... That is not a serious concern of mine. One thing I wanted to go back to when I was talking about how Caleb Williams scrambles to throw. um, I had to find this tweet. I wish I I was able to access this data myself because this would be fascinating to run historical comps. But um, I think it's proprietary PFF data. So one of the PFF guys tweeted, pass attempt percentage when moved off spot in 2023. So this is when the quarterback drops back and the defense pressures them and forces them to move from where they want to be. How often then does that guy actually make a pass attempt? Because once you're pressured, moved off your spot, two things can, or three things can happen. You can either make a throw, you can take a sack, or you can scramble for positive yardage. Um, Caleb Williams attempted a pass, 65% of the time when moved off of his spot.
0: That's insane.
1: That's the second highest in the draft class behind Michael Penix, who is, as we know, not a scrambler. Um, and Which I think it's important to mobile.
0: know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think it's, and we'll talk about Penix later too, but we'll talk about the difference. In, when Penix attempted a pass attempt after being moved off his spot, he was only 9 of 36 for a grand total of 89 yards. Um, 89 yards on 36 pass attempts is not what you want. Caleb Williams was 36 of 78 for 786 yards. So low completion percentage, but averaged 10 yards per attempt when moved off, over 10 yards per attempt when moved off his spot. He had nine touchdowns and just two interceptions. So he is very good when the defense forces him to move. He's very good at buying time with his legs to make a throw. He makes the throw, and he's successful when he does.
0: There there may Um, not be a number that you could provide that convinces me that he's like Rodgers or Mahomes.
1: Better More than, than that. that. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's the key difference between Justin Fields. I don't have that number for Justin Fields. Um, I, I think it – what I've t- – I've asked around, and I think it was around like 34%. I think it was league low in the NFL this year. 34 to 40% of the time, Justin Fields this year attempted a pass when moved off of his spot. We'll talk about Jaden Daniels in a couple weeks. And he. one of my big concerns with Jaden Daniels is how rarely he ever attempts a throw after he's been pressured and moved. He was dead last in all of college football this year, at least in terms of the FBS uh, at just 20% of the time, Jaden Daniels even attempted a throw after he was initially moved off of his spot. His overwhelming response to pressure is either run, just take off running, or get sacked. Um, so we'll talk about that with Jaden Daniels. But yeah, that's to me, that's the most. So when I when I started to look at these things, and I also the next thing I want to talk about is is clean scramble scramble rate, um, and this is specifically scramble rate in terms of how often does a guy actually take off. On a scramble. Not how often does he buy time with his legs. And then make a throw. Unfortunately I haven't really found a good way to measure that. Um, But this is just how often a guy literally took off on an actual scramble. uh, In a clean pocket. When pressured. And overall. And I don't have this for everybody. But I started looking at this just for a few guys. So. From a clean pocket. In his college career. Caleb Williams only took off about 3% of the time on an actual scramble. Only 3% of the time did he flee a clean pocket and ultimately just take off running. That is, so for example, Trevor Lawrence, or no, the lowest person, and this I don't think this surprised anybody who watched him in college, uh, the lowest person in this that I could find was C.J. Stroud. Only 2.1% of the time did C.J. just take off on a scramble. Now, the interesting thing about C.J., when he did scramble last year in at ohio state he was also a guy who was over 6 seconds when he scrambled because the few times he was forced to scramble he was good and we talked about this in the georgia game he was he, he is good When he is forced to scramble, he is good buying time. He has the ability to buy time to make a throw. It's just C.J. Stroud will not. He has such a good sense of pressure. He does not want – and he was playing at Ohio State. He was like, I'm playing at Ohio State with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba. You really want me to flee a clean pocket? I'm going to stand here and I'm going to make a damn throw. One of these guys is going to be open. Yeah. So CJ, but when CJ Stroud did have to scramble, it wasn't very often. He also took over six seconds because, like Caleb Williams, when he scrambles, he is not looking to take off running. He is going to until the last possible second, he is going to try to buy himself time to make a throw, and that translated very well to the NFL this year. Um, so Caleb Williams was two point one percent or no, sorry, CJ Stroud was 2.1%. That's the lowest I found. Next after that was Trevor Lawrence, 2.3%. And whatever you think of Trevor Lawrence, I think Trevor Lawrence's best strength. And the reason he honestly... I think Trevor Lawrence sometimes hurts himself in terms of his image with the Jaguars because Trevor Lawrence, to me, is so good at getting the ball out quickly that it hides how shitty the Jaguars' offensive line is. And so then people... Don't give Trevor Lawrence a pass um, because of having a bad offensive line. People say, "Well, he's got—he he was barely, hardly ever sacked. How come he doesn't do more?" And I'm like, "He—he he doesn't do more because he's busy trying not to get sacked." Um, but that's a little sidebar. But yeah, Trevor Lawrence, two point three percent clean pocket rate. And then the next lowest guy is Caleb Williams, just three percent of the time in his college career did that dude take off scrambling from a clean pocket. So, as much as it looks like he's just running around out there, he's really not. He he when he has a clean pocket and this is this is a USC offensive line stat because that offensive line was actually not very good this year.
0: This is He 50%. made them here, he here saved I go. them. I get to talk about what I saw in film. Yes, talk about it.
1: Yeah, you, you go for it, son.
0: I, so last year, 2022, Caleb had a really strong year. Won the Heisman Trophy. Obviously, he had four seniors on his line, and they were all very, very good offensive linemen. USC uh, this past season um, kind of showed their hand before the season even began, rather than run with the guys who were backing up those guys, they brought in a lot of transfers, they had a ton of turnover on the offensive line, and what they put together this year uh, was nothing short of fucking disastrous. Caleb Williams had to run a lot, and he wasn't leaving clean pockets, that's for sure. This dude was getting pressure from everybody. I think offensive lines around the Pac-12 were kind of worse this year, combined with the fact that the Pac-12 had some very strong pass rushers this year. Oh yeah, Oregon had a very Oregon draft. had a very good
1: defensive line. Washington had a good defensive line. UCLA had a fantastic defensive I, line. And
0: you saw it in the games uh, that USC played against Washington. Braylon Trice was in the backfield the whole game against UCLA. Uh, they had an interior defensive lineman, who I don't believe is in this draft, but that dude's looking impressive. And Leatu Latu um, basically lived in the backfield that whole game. But Caleb yeah. Williams... Still avoided a ton of sacks but and ran he, around with pressure, but like you said, the impression that was given—if um, you just casually saw some USC highlights—is Jesus Caleb. He's running around a lot. He's running around forever. Yeah,
1: it, but he really doesn't flee. He doesn't really run until he has to. Now, once he has to run, he takes an enormously long time. And I don't. And I think that is both his greatest power and it's the thing that gets him in trouble sometimes. And that, for me. Is, was also Aaron Rodgers, because all of the... You remember so many soul-crushing plays where Aaron Rodgers would just buy time. You thought you had him sacked. The son of a bitch got away, and he would find Jordy Nelson, and it would rip your heart out. So the majority of the time, that was Rodgers' best strength, but he also would take 50 sacks sometimes. Yes. So it was one of his weaknesses, too, and it's just it's a knife's edge kind of thing, but it's not... The kind of thing like Justin Fields where it is an every-down problem where Justin Fields just couldn't make the plays in structure on time. Caleb Williams can, and I think the Bears will offer him, honest to God, a better structure than he had at USC this year. Shane Waldron—and we talk about Shane Waldron, too. Shane Waldron had a guy in Russell Wilson who has always been an undisciplined scrambler, has always been a guy who was kind of a one-read and then scramble-mode thrower— Has always been a high, over-three-second time-to-throw guy. Shane Waldron got one of the best time-to-throws of Russell Wilson's career. He got one of the lowest pressure-to-sack rates of Russell Wilson's career. Geno Smith was a guy who was over three seconds and took a lot of sacks when he was with the Jets. Now, obviously, he's had a long time on the bench to learn, but Shane Waldron got Geno Smith to play with very good timing and very good discipline. Um, So I think Shane Waldron is the perfect guy. To try to get Caleb Williams the structure he needs. But I think the Bears will honest to God offer better structure than USC had this year. He'll have DJ Moore. He'll hopefully have a guy like Roma Dunza and neighbors on the other side. Cole Komet is fine. Um <laughs> they have I think they'll have a better offensive line than USC had, honest to God. Um oh, but so so like yeah. I said the clean pocket scramble rate was just three percent. And in case you're wondering how that compares to Justin Fields, Justin Fields was the third highest of any QB that I could find in terms of leaving from clean pockets in college at 8.2%. In college, that's how often he fled a clean pocket, and that's about how often he's done it in the NFL. Um, Jalen Hurts was second highest. Uh, So not all bad, and we'll talk about this with Jaden Daniels if you want to talk about positive, hopeful comp for Jaden Daniels, the one guy that's going to come up probably a few times is gonna be Jalen Hurts, but I'll also go into why I don't think he is Jalen Hurts too. But that's the Jaden we got a couple weeks to Jaden Daniels, just teasing that. Number one on the clean pocket scramble rate though is Jaden Daniels. And then that's clean pocket scrambles. And then if you want to talk about scramble rate when pressured, um Caleb is not super low but he but he's middle of the pack there which is fine because you would expect a guy with his athleticism and his ability to run to sometimes scramble under pressure like scrambling under pressure being able to do it is a very valuable skill to have you don't want a guy who can't scramble under pressure it's just you don't want a guy who uses that as a crutch um, so caleb doesn't scramble very often from a clean pocket um, he's middle of the pack in terms of scramble rate when pressured so Patrick Mahomes, for example, in college scrambled about 10.2% of the time when he was pressured. Caleb Williams was at 12.4% of the time. Josh Allen was 14.3% of the time. Kyler Murray was 16%. Lamar Jackson was 17%. So Caleb, right there, Aaron Rodgers was, I, I, I don't have Aaron Rodgers college stats, but Aaron Rodgers... Um, in the NFL, for example, has usually been about eight or nine percent scrambles from when he, when pressured. So Caleb, solid numbers there in terms of how often he literally just scrambles from pressure. Um, but very solid numbers in terms of how often he actually attempts a pass once he's been moved off of his spot. Um, so when you want to talk about the reason I am no longer worried, ultimately, even though I was the number one guy for a long time, I kind of became a meme about it on Twitter with my concern as I audibly and just like through publicly worked through my concerns about Caleb Williams time to throw. I just kept digging and I just just kept trying to build these, this profile. Um, And I think his time to throw is, is totally warped. He's a guy where I think a median time to throw would honestly be better than an average time to throw because it's the, the amount of pass attempts that take that long, is actually not that high. It's just when he decides to hold it, he's going to hold it for a long time because he's constantly buying time behind the line of scrimmage trying to make a throw. Um, Whereas a guy like Justin Fields or even a guy like Jaden Daniels would have a lower overall time to throw, but it's because on those plays where he's pressured, he's not trying to buy any time at all for himself. He's just taken off. That's just gone. So, yeah, ultimately, I think when you look at just the percentage of his dropbacks that actually took 2.5 seconds or less. When you look at how rarely he actually took off on scrambles from clean pockets or under pressure, how often he attempted a throw after he was initially moved off of his spot, how successful he was when he was moved off of his spot and attempted a throw compared to the others. Um, ultimately, it's it's hard not to... It's, I'm not concerned about Caleb Williams anymore. I'm really not. I still haven't decided if he truly is my QB1. I was leaning Drake May for a long time there. I'm going back and forth on it every day. I'm, I'm in hell. Um, but ultimately, the main thing is I think at the end of the day, Caleb believes is going to be the guy that bears take it, number one. And I'm excited about that because the things that I was concerned about, I dug a little deeper. Um, and I didn't want to just wish cast those things away because we actually did that with Justin Fields. Because people criticized Justin Fields when he was in college. They said he takes too long to throw he runs too much from clean pockets and you and i both said that doesn't that's not what it looks like to me he takes too long to throw cuz he's always throwing deep and he doesn't he only uses his legs when he needs to but if i'd looked at the numbers if i'd found the way to quantify them then like i have now i would have had to be honest with myself that like mm, the critics are kind of right about Justin Fields but in this case the critics and the critic being me i was not right about Caleb Williams this is not the profile of a Malik Willis or a Justin Fields or even a Jalen Hurts. This is much more of a Kyler Murray, an Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's Patrick Mahomes. I don't think anyone ever will be. But I think, like you said, when you watch Patrick Mahomes win that Super Bowl, if you're ever going to kill Godzilla, your best shot's going to be with Mothra. And I think uh, that's the strongest argument for Caleb Williams there is. If there is a guy with that kind of upside, it's Caleb Williams.
0: Yeah, I uh, I have one more thing from all my tape watch I want to talk about, then we can kind of give our, our final verdict, I guess, in these, this courtroom-themed episode. Uh, basically, after watching all of this goddamn USC, the one thing I could say for certain is the Pac-12 has figured out Lincoln Riley. They understand his offense now, and especially in the Notre Dame game, especially against Arizona, especially against UCLA, what you saw is the solution— is send one extra guy and within the first five yards from the line of scrimmage you bump his number one target um, and you throw off the timing. Lincoln Riley has basically tuned his offense like a watch um, and as long as you do that you have to start to explore the offensive options there. Um, This is something Kyler Murray did not have to do. This is something Baker Mayfield did not have to do. Um, This is something Jalen Hurts did not have to do when he worked with Lincoln Riley and it's something that Caleb Williams had to go through this year. And despite having a bad game against Notre Dame and being on the struggle bus for a couple quarters against Arizona, he still came out with good statistics. He still looked strong against these things. And that is a massive testament to Caleb Williams working with a bad offensive line. Not just think, a subpar one, but a bad one. And working with sub, suboptimal talent. USC is not as talented right now. Jerry Rice's son is not Marvin Harrison's son. Uh, honest to God, he's if I not think not a great top target. And he, if Brendan he Rice had this year,
1: if Brendan Rice had any other father, I don't even know if that kid would be like a fifth round pick. Nope. I think he's going to he, get way he's more. He's very good at year.
0: making uh, receptions in traffic. I think, um, yeah. but but that's even relative to to who? Yeah. Not relative. I mean, we'll talk about from this Madunza.
1: with we'll talk uh, about this with Drake May too. I don't know that Caleb Williams or Drake May this year. Played with a single wide receiver, who would even have gotten on the field, in three wide receiver sets for LSU. Um, yeah, the the, the wide receiver talent that 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 Jaden Daniels was playing with versus uh Caleb Williams and Drake May is just laughable. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I think even the Notre Dame game, if you watch the second half, as bad as that first half went for him, Caleb. Was still grinding, still hanging in there, still making throws. I thought the second half against Notre Dame was actually very good, um, which to me was kind of important. It's it's good to see. One of the things that I think has always upset me about Justin Fields is I feel like Justin Fields has good games, or he has bad games, and he he once once it starts going downhill for him, it I rarely. Remember, I mean, that's why his fourth quarters have been so disastrous. I feel like when one thing goes wrong, it just it goes wrong and it stays wrong. So to see Caleb Williams have that disastrous first half and not keep adding to it but instead really fight and get USC back in that game for a bit um, was encouraging.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I talked a lot last year. The things I really want to look at from a quarterback prospect are the games against great defenses. I don't really care if you, you know, took – um uh, uh, fucking Utah to the the woodshed with their like acceptable defense. I don't really care if you beat up on Cal, you know. But uh, when we look at UCLA, uh, we look at Notre Dame. Um, that's what I that's what I care about with Caleb Williams. And yes, uh, his statistics showed a bad performance against Notre Dame. He did not have a bad performance against Notre Dame. USC had a bad performance against Notre Dame. His offensive line got shredded. His receivers did not get open. Um, He did everything he possibly could in that game to keep USC afloat. I was like, honest to God, after watching that three times, I was impressed by what he did there. I'm impressed by what he did against UCLA in again another fruitless effort. I honestly think UCLA might have been his best game this season. I really
1: thought he was under fire the entire time. It was just a relentless ass beating in the trenches by UCLA. And he just, this is
0: a guy and I coming into this, I thought his mental makeup was kind of weak. That's the book on Caleb Williams is this guy is fragile. He never threw in the towel against either of those teams. He was fighting his ass off until the very end. Uh, And I mean, and he was, he could have because (laughs) both of those teams were, they made me want to give up watching that game happen, watching what happened to Caleb Williams in those games. And he didn't. Um, I came out of those with a very positive impression, but we got we got a couple of minutes. Do we want to give final verdicts on Caleb Williams? How do we feel about it? What do we think? Yeah, we I mean, I think
1: I can. I wait until we've done all of the quarterbacks to give my official ranking because I'm still I'm still wrestling with myself on whether i I'm, I'm ready to just say Caleb Williams is, is officially my QB one. Although I'm. I'm there, but the the short answer is I think there are two QB ones in this draft. Even if you want to call it a cop out answer, I think there are two guys in this draft that if the Bears had the number one overall pick and took either one of them, I would be like, holy fucking shit, we just got our quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I I am excited. There are if you talk about the la- I'm trying to hold on. Where did I? I think I I actually tried going back and and grading myself, folks. I went back and tried to to check my my eval history. So I would say in terms of my overall grades right now, both Caleb Williams and Drake may are among the five highest graded quarterback or five highest prospect grades. I have given out since the, the rookie wage scale started. So starting with the cam Newton draft, the five highest guys I've given grades to are Andrew luck, Trevor Lawrence, Caleb Williams, cam Newton, and Drake may. Um, and I, I stand by that. Uh, you, right below Drake May is Robert Griffin III. That was my first big whiff. You actually had RG3 over luck. I remember that. Um, but you said the same thing that you said this year, where you might, where you said you might even like Drake May a little bit more than Caleb Williams. but if you were the GM in question uh, that has to make that pick, you wouldn't necessarily have the balls to do it, because if you whiff, you get fired. Um, right,
0: right. Or if Robert you Griffin III gets you fired. Andy if you've been the Colts Bunch GM, Bunch. you would
1: not have had the balls to take RG3 over luck, even though he was your right. personal QB1. Um, but yeah, I, I I guess you have to just take my word for it. I did have Travis check my memory here, but if you want some statistics here, I I, I went, so going back to the 2011 draft and not counting the guys from last year who don't have enough experience yet, um, to, to really have earned a grade. Uh, although I'm feeling early on, I'm feeling pretty good about everything I said about CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson. Um, so, I, I would say going back to there, I have when I have predicted that a guy would be a great quarterback, if I gave them a top 10 QB potential greater or better, uh, I have hit on 68.8% of those or 11 of 16 guys. Um, if I predicted that a guy would be at least an average starter better, a little foggier, only have hit on about 57.7% of those guys or 15 of 26. Uh, but on the other side of things, when i say that a guy is going to be a first round bust. So in terms of guys that i said would be a terrible first round pick who have been low end starters or worse, which to me or a mid-tier starter or worse, which to me is a bad outcome for a first round pick, 86.7% of the time, folks. I am the grim reaper for your favorite quarterback prospect. If i say the guy sucks, he's probably sucks except for Josh Allen and Jordan Love. So do you wanna to point to the two guys that I've been wrong on? There's your hope as we go through these draft evals. If you disagree with me if I don't like your guy and you're like, fuck you, Kyle, you don't know shit. You missed on Josh Allen, you son of a bitch. Um, that's fine. But so I'm, that that's my record at this point. That's my that's my math. Uh, I think I think we we definitely we we care a lot about this. We put a lot of numbers into it. I put a lot of numbers into this year's class. So I feel confident when I say that I think Caleb Williams is going to be a very good NFL quarterback. I'm very, I'm very excited with him. If he truly is the bears first overall pick.
0: Yeah. My, so I can give my final verdict on these quarterbacks because I've watched fucking enough and I want to stop. I want to stop watching quarterback tape and start watching tape of other guys. Um, Basically, last year, Kyle, uh, we were talking about the quarterbacks. We were talking about Stroud versus Richardson because both of us said, don't take Bryce Young. Uh, We nailed that one. Um, But basically, uh, what I said before you made me commit, goddammit, to one of them uh, was was sort of the same thing I said about RG3 and Luck, which was, I think C.J. Stroud is a very safe pick. I think his floor is extremely high, and I think he works very well in Frank Rags' offense. I said, but... Here's the thing. If you have the number one pick in the draft, you're almost never going to have it again, right? The, like, what the Bears have had here is insane. Um, wh- and you basically, you have to ask yourself, can the guy that I am drafting take a swing at Patrick Mahomes? And my, what I basically said when I went with Anthony Richardson in the end was, I think C.J. Stroud's highest possible 100th percentile is what he did last year, and I don't think that kills Pat Mahomes. I don't think CJ Stroud has it in him to lead a team to get past the Chiefs. That was that was my argument then. I stand by it. And I said, Anthony Richardson's one hundredth percentile is somewhere on the level of Jesus Christ himself. If you have the number one pick, do you take the overall best quarterback or you take do you take the biggest swing? And that's why I was like, in the end, maybe you take Anthony Richardson. Maybe you have to take the biggest swing if you have that pick. That's where I am right now. I think Drake May, and we'll get into this next week, is Justin Herbert. I think that's probably what he is. And to an extent, I love that. To another extent, look where that's gotten the fucking Chargers. I think Caleb Williams' 100th percentile is beyond Patrick Mahomes. He could be the GOAT. It's his hundredth percentile is absolutely Ooh, okay. in the goat conversation. Is he going to reach it? Now, no. The only guy I've seen hit his hundredth percentile, I think, in the last ten years is C.J. Stroud. What he just did is his hundredth percentile. I don't think. That I mean, I think
1: I think Patrick Mahomes reached like his hundred yep. and fiftieth was... percentile. Now is
0: Pat Mahomes absolutely um, because he had Andy Reid? Because he had a great situation, right? I think for the same reason. You have to take Caleb. You get it. it. I think you gotta. You have to draft Caleb. I think you gotta.
1: Career. I think you gotta go for the throat. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, even if,
0: even if, and here's the deal. I do think there's a higher chance that he busts than Drake may, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, well, I but, like I but said, but I his, think his they, ceiling is beyond him.
1: I think the range of outcomes is certainly wider with Caleb, and I think with Drake, it's a little more narrow. And I think almost all of them are good. Um, but yes, I would agree. The, the nice thing, though, is like I said, is I, as I dug into these scramble rates and this time to throw stuff and I really broke down who Caleb Williams actually is and not just who I who he kind of looks like on the surface level if you look at some of these numbers. Um, I actually think his floor is a lot higher than I felt that it, it initially was when I first started because that, that 3.27 seconds time to throw really scared the shit out of me and it made me think of a floor that was pretty damn bad. But I think when you, when you break into how he got there and how unique he is, I actually think the floor – and I want to say the last thing I guess I should say is because I've broken down for all the guys in this class in terms of their accuracy to all levels of the field, their accuracy on all concepts, all their accuracy on all this. As a thrower, there is not a single weak point in Caleb Williams' game. There is not a single part of the field to where he – because there actually is for Drake in a couple places. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but he's average or better to every part of the field. Middle of the field, deep, deep right, deep left, intermediate left, intermediate right. He's average or better in all of them. Um, the big time throw rate is solid. The turnover worthy play rate is solid. There is not a weakness there. Um, and then I think, so. but I was more concerned about the pocket stuff. And then, like I said, I've dug into it enough that I'm no longer that concerned about that. And so I think the floor is actually even higher than I thought it was too. So, yeah, I mean Caleb Williams is. We're probably a few months away from Caleb Williams' name being called by the Chicago Bears. And I really, if you're if you've been struggling with this, I get it. You don't want to give up a Justin Fields. And if you're, you've only seen the Notre Dame game, you've only heard people making what are in my opinion very slanted arguments against Caleb Williams in defense of Justin Fields. Um, I'm here to tell you, I truly believe that you can be excited. About the future of Chicago Bears football with Caleb Williams under center, guys. You really can.
0: Yeah. All right. So that is the book on Caleb Williams. I am done watching USC, and <laughs> I, I'm go- probably going to watch a bunch of North Carolina games against this week, because next week it is uh, the Cast yeah. v. Drake May. Uh, yeah, should, and I did... Should we consider Drake May with the first overall? Pick? Yeah. Should we consider, May, pro- more realistically... Making a trade with Walker. And I have even, and getting a bunch of picks.
1: I have even I've even made I've found some neg some small negative things about Drake May for discussion. I did find a few things to discuss because for most of the year I was being accused of making hard eyes at Drake May and ignoring his flaws in favor of highlighting Caleb's. So I, I've even that out a little bit. I did find and I finally came up with a with a slightly negative comp for drake because i was really struggling to find a a guy that i thought like was truly a bad outcome for a guy with his profile and i did find one um spoiler alert it's carson wentz uh but we'll go into that um i think there's a lot to talk about with drake there's a lot to talk about with Jaden daniels i've teased a couple of that already in this episode so this is a this is a really fun quarterback class to discuss if nothing else um and we're going to squeeze every drop out of it this year because next year's quarterback class looks like ass. Um, and I don't know if we'll have as much fun talking about it. But yeah, and long story short, Caleb Williams
0: good. Caleb Williams is very good. Drake May next week. Yes. But, uh, see you then. See well, you, folks.
1: Holes in the delta,
0: way out on that floor.
1: Now you know I'm leaving Chicago, and people I show do hate to go. Now you
0: know I'm leaving here, won't be back no more.